everyone. Welcome back to the Earth on Survival Guide, live FreedoniaCon 2024 headlining edition. Everything else up to this point has been the opening act. We're the headliners. If you believe that, I got some swampland to sell you in Florida for a nice, cheap price. Otherwise, uh, I am your quester, Dan. This is my quester, Josh. Hello, everybody. Uh, how's your How's your weekend been, Josh? Uh, it's been good. Um, I have watched our art guy, James, do amazing work in short periods of time. Uh, making me insanely jealous of his artistic ability. Um, yeah. If you missed either of those, um, he did in like two hours. Uh, on Saturday, he did uh, Troll Sky Raider in about two hours. And this morning, Sunday, he did uh, Descrying Swordmaster in about two hours. And I absolutely adore the Swordmaster. Um, it's just an amazing piece. And watching it all come together, like from the beginning is just uh, remarkable. I it's, it's fantastic. Um, yeah. Also jealous. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and then I had uh, a really good conversation earlier today with Kyle and Michael, we were talking legends of bar save and I was asking acting interviewer and asking questions and keeping the conversation going. And uh, I thought that went really well. Um, yeah. So yeah, no, it's 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 been it's been pretty good. I have not been like flat out like I have in past years. I have been balancing my um my time. What well. You're pacing yourself? Pace well, pacing myself, work life balance, you know, all that sort of thing. Very important. Uh, exactly. <laughs> the, this is the only hour I'm working this weekend, so <laughs> Well, yeah, there you go. Um and then had a, an enjoyable uh game Saturday. Um yeah. that was like the rough draft very first time uh, kind of feeling out some things with the adventure that I'm planning to run at Gen Con. So I am way ahead of schedule on that. Uh, whereas in past years, I have sometimes been getting into late June or early July before I'm putting everything together. Um, but I, I had an idea and I am actually, you know, putting it into action. So, so not the, I have a working title and nothing else figured out until July. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, not, I, not that plan. I still came up with the working title like first, um, mainly like based on kind of a mental image that I had. And then I had to figure out how to make it work. And I think like the bare bones of my story is is like my scenario situation design is pretty good. Now I just need to like having run it now, I kind of see where I need to like tweak some things and fill in details and whatnot. Um and then it was said, uh, as has been said multiple times, what you need to do is actually get a full write-up for these adventures that you do every year um, so that you can put them out and, like, you know, bring money into Big the company. Um, yes, exactly. In my copious... I decided not to join in and break it for you, but yeah. In in my copious free time. Um, <laughs> in your free time with your spare money? Is that how that goes? Well, look, the money isn't in part of it. It's it's the time. Time is money. Oh, uh, oh yeah. And and the time with everything else that I have to do between uh, layouts and other writing and family and job day job and all of that stuff. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's been a fun weekend. It always is an enjoyable weekend. Um, I Ooh. I really like hanging out and uh, especially like the things where I'm just bullshitting with my fellow developers, <laughs> um, making things up. Um, anyway, how That's about well, you I know you have not been busy here at free donation. I have not been busy been here spending quality time with the wife. Absolutely. Which is always so, important. Yeah. Yeah. That she takes precedence. Anyway, uh, we have some emails and by all means, if you have any questions, otherwise put them in the chat. We will also be streaming this chat, uh, live on the video feed. So when Josh puts that into the YouTube channel, 
Yeah, it's not going live to the video feed right now. We are recording this live. I will upload it um, probably Friday. Um, so after at some I... point, this was live. At when some, you watch yeah, this again later, this, it will not this, be live This then. was live when we made it. Uh, as our episodes actually always are, we just have, actually have an audience with us uh, virtually in the chat. Um, and the chat is actually going to appear in the video as well. So those of you in there, please behave. And spelling counts, but speed does not. So by all means. Yeah, as I, I, I work, um, I'm, I'm a trainer in a call center in the medical field. And uh, I always tell my trainees, speed comes with practice. It is more important that you get this information right yes. than that you get it through fast, which is actually counter to a lot of how a lot of call centers work. Um, Absolutely. Where they try and like push through as many calls as possible. We want to make sure that the information is right because it's dealing with people, people's medical information, uh, connecting to billing and stuff, which is a royal pain. If we screw it up, that causes problems all downstream. Um, and that is enough of my uh, paying day job gig. Absolutely. So I'd like to start the episode with an ending to the infected adventure because we asked for these uh, on our previous podcast. We said, hey, this is infected. And it has this uh, break off. We could actually end this like four or five different ways. Yeah. So we got an answer from Patrick. Uh, hey, you both. I'd like to share our infected ending. And I'm going to read this word for word because some of this didn't make sense to me. So if it makes sense to you, let me know. Uh, I'd like to share our infected ending. We basically convinced Malta that the troubadour was telling them just stories because that's what troubadours do. And since she couldn't find any sign of it so far, I could just have been the troubadour itself as an adept to use a little magic to let everybody believe Ardelia did that. Did any of that make sense to you? Um, it sounds like there was a like a, a troubadour involved basically saying, you believe that this happened. It was all just stories, not actually yeah. real. Um, cool. I mean, that's that's. I kind of along can, the lines of the one where you convince Molta that she is not tainted and convince yeah. them to go. Um, so that's like a way to get her on your side without having to have found the, the book. Um, yeah. So that's you can cool. sell it, sell it hard, you know, yeah. roll that. I mean, with, with the, yeah, <laughs> with the appropriate <laughs> talents and, and effective role playing and some good dice rolls, I, I can see that working. Yeah. It helped that our Nethermancer did the talking from crazy Nethermancer to another and that we got the villager involved in and convinced them up front that that's what could have happened. Cheers, Patrick. Thank you, Patrick. Thank you, Patrick. So I like the ending. Yeah. Uh, so I have one from Matthew. So you're on the spot. Don't sweat it. Uh, hello again, Josh and Dan. I just gave the players in my game an interesting item, and now I have decided to make it into a threaded item. I was going to make it more of a utility item, and one of the things I was thinking about is to allow the casting of one spell. The effect I was going with was that it was a matrix that could only hold the one spell and that the thread would give a plus one to both thread weaving and spell casting. This way, any discipline would be able to use it. I know it's a little powerful based on how many bonuses, but I figure with all the limitations, it would cut down on the usefulness and balance it out. I would love to hear your thoughts on this if you know of a different way to get the same effect. Thanks again for your wisdom, Matthew. Um, yeah, actually, I don't really have a problem with that item per se. Um, having it be like if it is a fixed spell that is in there, um, having that be an effect that shows up at some point and allowing the items bonuses to 
allow anyone to cast the spell out of it, I think that's fine. I don't even know necessarily, depending on what the spell is, that I would... I don't, it, it would depend on the spell, what I would do with regards to the thread weaving aspect of it. Um, mm-hmm. But if you can't change the spell that's in there and giving it an ability that allows whoever is using or threaded to the item to cast that spell, even if they're not a spellcaster, obviously it would be more effective if they are. Like if the item provides bonuses to spellcasting in general, um, maybe, or something along those lines. But yeah, I honestly don't have a problem with a thread item being something that can like that has a spell built into its effect that you yeah. can then do. I I I think that's a fine idea um and restricting it to a specific spell that can't be swapped out does make it like I think maybe w- trades off um you know as opposed to the versatility of items that have a a matrix built into them that a magician can put whatever spell they want in. I think that's fine. I I yeah. you know, without knowing more details, I don't know exactly how I would necessarily build it, but I think as an idea that's fine. And it's only a plus 1. It's not like it's overpowering with a plus 3 each. Plus 1's fine. Yeah. Well, yeah. even even if the the spell casting, the effective spell casting bonus increases as the rank increases, I don't think that's a problem either. You know, the, unless you're looking at like a, a warden tier item or something where when you get up to rank eight or ten, you're looking at a potentially hefty bonus to the spell casting. But then that requires a pretty significant investment into it. Um, yeah, again, as a basic idea, I think it's fine. The details I would hammer on a little bit. Fair. We got a question from Patrick Mormon. I almost reread your name wrong as Patrick Mahomes. So congratulations on winning the Super Bowl of questioning. <laughs> Question. What's your coolest plot Easter egg in the storyline? I just found that the ambassador of Thera in Bartertown was sent there because he couldn't hold up with the incoming slaves from the area around Bloodwood. Didn't the player send the slaver Figus Cull anyway? Ah. Especially with the adventure from the Thrill book where where you then have to save that ambassador from low-cost followers to not trigger a war. Uh, that's cool. I don't specifically remember it. Um, like that particular detail. I haven't dug into the um, Thrill book, the original Thrill book in a while. Um, yeah, certainly don't remember that detail, but that's a cool call um talking about the incoming slaves from the area around Bloodwood and connecting that to to Fagus Cole and things like that is is pretty cool. Um I don't I don't know plot easter egg um I think the one that it's not an easter egg so much as kind of a a callback and and I did this in my home game and it might be something that is suggested in the um in in prelude to war um but i i did this in my home game in i think it's in it's either in prelude to war or it's in one of the the source books prior to that it might be might be in serpent river but i don't think so anyway there is an adventure that i I, it must be in prelude to war I, I think based on what's going on, but there is a, an adventure framework in one of the books that involves the player characters 
uh, getting hired, essentially, to help recover one of the sunken Theron vessels from the bottom of Lake Ban. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, you know, basically it, it involves like the old man of the nets showing up at one point and the, it is in prelude to war. Okay. As, as the chat has informed us. Um, and as part of what goes on there, you encounter like there's the Theron general or commander of some sort that sort of is in, in interference in that adventure kind of getting in the way like they show up as you're salvaging the vessel and you kind of need to try and escape from them um then later on and i know this is in prelude to war where the after the group has captured hefera and delivered him to icewing and then icewing gives you hefera's remains to deliver to the therans um you know the group basically impersonates another mercenary company that works with the Therans, they take the bones in and get like way deep into the fortress, into the triumph uh, to meet the commander, the the general or the head person there to deliver the bones. Um, and I think the, the suggestion is that like make things go really, really smoothly up to a certain point. Um, and I did, there was a, a bit actually when they were like finally there with the commander of the fortress um, and the the box with Hefera's remains, and somebody jokingly said, um, "You know, he he opens he opens the box, and meanwhile we cut to Icewing's lair where he flips a little switch, and a red light comes on in the in the box. The idea being, of course, that it's going to blow up. Um, of course, but that, but that wasn't the case. Um, but he opens the box, and he's like, oh, yeah, okay. I I warned him that something like this would happen. Well, thank you for delivering him. Have a nice day, guys. And they're like leaving, and they're like." two thirds of the way out of the fortress when they basically open a door and bump into the guy that was on the ship that they encountered earlier. And there's like, Oh, excuse me. And then like they're half a dozen steps from the exit. And he goes, Hey, wait a minute. And like had that, um, like recognize them from before suddenly, uh, you know, when he kind of made the connection. Um, I don't remember how much of that was, was like suggested in the adventures or what I came up with because it was a really nice, like, Oh, this is going very, very smoothly. Oh no, not anymore. Um, yes. Tie that all back together as you should. Yeah. As you should. Uh, Patrick Mormon is saying, could you mute your microphone, please? Yeah. If, to, if, if you oh, could, anybody, Patrick, sorry. yeah. If, if anybody who is in the chat could, could mute their microphone, um, the Much audio would, yeah, the audio will come through on our recording. So just keep that in mind. Unless you're going to laugh, please laugh at the right times. Uh, we'll take that. Nobody laughs uh, okay. What are you talking about? We got, we got one from K Scott Rowe. You're on, you're on deck. Uh, K Scott. Hey guys, one of my players pointed this out. Sure. Deflect to your player. Always their fault. Stupid. Uh, The third circle wizard spell astral targeting reads the magician opens his eyes wide and glowing red light emits from them and then makes a spell casting test. While almost all the other spells have some somatic or verbal component that anyone can do. This one seems to require the wizard to make their eyes glow. I assume the glowing red light that emits from the eyes of the spellcaster doesn't actually happen before casting the spell. If it did, could the wizard make their eyes glow at will? That could make interaction tests more interesting. Thanks, K. Scott Rowe. No. <laughs> the, I love the, the really long buildup and the very short answer. Yeah, the, the glowing effect is part of the spell. Um, it is not something that, like, it is, 
it is an effect of the spell happening. It is not like a not a somatic or material component of the spell in the sense that you have to do this in order to cast the spell. It's that the casting of the spell, the visual effect of like how it manifests that similar to like the crystalline darts of earth darts, like a sort of manufacturing out of the dirt that you toss in the air before they shoot at the target. Yeah. Casting the spell, successfully casting the spell, your eyes glow red, allowing you to astrally target. Um, you know, there's certainly some flavoring there because it is astral that you could say there may be some kind of limited visual effect that happens when somebody is viewing astrally if you want to skin it that way. But no, I would not say that, oh, because the spell says that their eyes glow red, they must be able to make their eyes glow in order to cast the spell. I think that the glowing eyes is just a side effect or or effect or result of the spell being cast. Maybe the glowing eyes is what tipped them off that they should follow the wizard path. I'm just, just disappointed. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, okay. We have a longer one from Conrad. Yes, Conrad, you're welcome for the uh, um, compliment there. You have a longer one. So hi, Josh and Dan. <laughs> I've been listening to your podcast for a few weeks now. I'm around episode 70 now. So forgive me if my questions have already been asked, but I didn't get to that yet. We like repeat Luckily, questions. They're easy. It means I've already thought repeat the answer. Questions are easy, yes. And he's going to be so far behind, it's going to be even longer for him. Uh, let me start by saying how much I appreciate your hard work and insight. I've been playing Earthon since the second edition, and your podcast opened my eyes to all the things I've been doing wrong this whole time. Oh, Kudos God, for sorry. this. Question one. Currently uh, uh, dungeon DMing, game mastering, a fourth edition game. My player, who's a Tuscrang Swordmaster, because of course he is, has picked up second attack as a skill. Once this becomes available to him as a talent, what's the best way of dealing with this so that he does not end up with a dead weight skill? I am inclined in letting him transfer second attack from skill to talent and allow him to pick up another skill in that place. In-world explanation being that he simply learned to infuse this with sk this skill with magic, and so it became a talent. Will I break anything if I go with this approach? What other solutions would you suggest? Yeah. Um, I don't think you will break anything by doing that. There is in third edition, if I'm remembering correctly, a optional rule sidebar. I forget whether it's in the, the player's guide or the player's companion um, about aligning talents and skills that is yeah. if you have a skill and you pick it up as a talent how you convert those skill ranks into talent ranks um yeah that is certainly one way that you can do it um if if you want it to go that way that's how i would yeah i don't think there's a problem with that at all no i, I um, like that idea the <clears throat> other possibility another possibility is to handle it that they essentially will have two versions that they will need to buy the talent ranks up the way they normally would if they didn't have the skill. And then each time they're trying to use it, they need to decide which which version they're going to use. Um, and potentially, if you're using talent crisis rules, maybe even cause some potential issues for them if they rely on the skill version more because it's got bigger numbers rather than relying on the magic of their discipline. Um, but then when their talent equals their skill, then that skill kind of goes away 
at that point whether you want to refund the legend points that they spent for the skill that they could then potentially invest into other things. That's another way you could do it. But I think the the third edition aligning talents and skills is probably the best way to go. And I don't have the book on the shelf behind me here uh, to grab it and look real quick. Um, but yeah, look, look that up. Um, feel free to like come to the discord and ask in the chat. Um, if you want, and we can get you that info if you're interested, but that's probably the way that I would go is with that optional rule. Yeah, I agree. I, I find that to be the best use of legend points because skills cost more than talents. Uh, question two, are you planning on doing any conventions or expos in the UK? I know your distribution partner is in Liverpool, so the stock is already here, and there are some massive conventions in London, Birmingham, Edinburgh, which would be perfect to spread the word of Earth on. I'm sure there are some helpful folks at this side of the pond who would help organizing things. If people want to pay for me to go over there and do it, I am happy to. Um, I'll go. Yeah, uh, I was fortunate enough. I I think we were we had started the show at that point where I did the couple of weeks where I did the week or so in Poland. Cause I was invited to mm-hmm. be in a, uh, guest of a convention over there along with Andy back in 2019. Yeah. Um, so I have done it, but that we were able to do that because the folks in Poland were kind enough to foot the bill for us to go out there. Um, there's our next Kickstarter right there. Get, yeah. get the Earth I mean, travel I, guide tour. I would be happy to. I would love to travel and be a guest and and take part in a convention or something like that. But the amount of time that is required um, for me as a a resident of the United States to go over to Europe uh, to participate in something like that, you know, it's, it's a bit of a trip. It was like, like nine days that I was in in poland um when i factored in all the the travel and the recovery time and and everything else um yeah if if people want to throw a convention and and invite me and and pay for me (laughs) and or my colleagues to go out there i'd be happy to um i know that we've got um a couple of of like uk based folks uh mm-hmm. already over there uh like Joel uh one of the oh, members of the council of Joel's, of, yeah. yeah one of the members of the council of Joel's, British Joel as he is called yeah, on the discord um mm-hmm. he has written some stuff mainly for 1879 but we have uh tapped him he helped out a little bit with some of the the final work on Grand Bazaar um so like he's over there um and I'm sure that he would be happy schedule permitting to uh, be involved in some kind of convention effort or something. Um, yeah, but absolutely. Yeah, like we don't have any plans to do so because all of us work day jobs and have, you know, lives and whatnot. And <laughs> like for most of us, Gen Con is our big convention in the U S because, you know, it's the big con in the U S. And so we all take kind of vacation time to be available for that week ish that that's yeah. going on. Um, and so like, we don't even really tend to do other cons except ones that might be local to us. I run games at um, snow con, which is the local con up here in, in Bangor um, because yeah. it's just down the road from my house. And so I don't need to pay for hotel rooms or worry about travel or any of that sort of thing. 
And Genghis Khan in Denver was just here, literally two miles from me. Mm-hmm. Uh, started on this past Thursday, ended literally ends today. Uh, I did not go because I was doing other things and I didn't find any events I wanted to go to in the first place. So there was yeah. that. I, anyway, I would love to go to, honestly, I would love to go to more conventions. I, I like yeah. conventions. I especially like smaller cons. Um, they, they like Gen Con is awesome. Don't get me wrong. I really enjoy Gen Con. I, I'm kind of semi-frustrated at the fact that aside from the city of Indianapolis, Indiana is kind of a, a, a something of a cultural hellscape. Um, you know, the, the city is fine. The city is incredibly welcoming. I can certainly understand why people have issues with Gen Con continuing to be there, given everything that goes on. Um, yeah. But I really enjoy it. There are people that I only get to see there. Um, it has become something of a, of a tradition for me and the family mm-hmm. to go to that every year. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's where I, we have like our annual meeting for the company and, and do all of that stuff. So, but I Absolutely. would love to like do smaller cons. And if I had, you know, the time and, and notice and schedule permitting, you know, doing other regional cons here in the Northeast would be fantastic. Absolutely. Uh, size I guy. Says, I have a few small cons in the Kansas City area. CantCon, Midwest Game Fest, and TsunamiCon. They're great. Yeah, there uh, are a lot of fantastic, like, small, local, regional yeah. cons that happen ar- around the country. Um, yeah. And, you know, quite often they are, like, SnowCon, for example, was started up when someone that I have known for quite a number of years was like, you know, what we should do is just, like, get a bunch Hold of our on. friends together to play games all weekend because we don't get to see them very often. And now here we are like, f- you know, 15 years later um, with uh, a, a good sized con that like that this year we filled the, the Elks hall here in Bangor um, nice. and uh, have had it in a couple of different places. Absolutely. Uh, Conrad's email does end with either way, keep up the good work and make, may the passions protect you from corruption. So far, so good. P.S. If you pick my email to respond to, would it be cool uh, if you send me an email back so I know how to jump those 130 episodes to hear my answers? Yeah, I can do that. Yeah, absolutely. Remind me after we finish recording so that I can pull up my my email and, totally. and reply to that. I figured. Okay, we're going to do story time because we got an incredibly long uh, email from Gravewolf. Uh, Gravewolf. So uh, indulge me here. We're going to do um, story time at the minute. <clears throat> This is literally a full page and then a paragraph after that. So I'll be talking for a while. Josh, you can get a drink if you want to. Uh, Everyone listen in later. Uh, Hey, guys. After listening to your most recent episode regarding the adventure Infected, I figured, what the hell, I would share the creativity of my players. Here goes. I recently completed a run through this adventure with one of the groups that I have been running 4th edition Earthdawn for. I introduced the PCs to Charboya very early on because I wanted them to have more buy-in and be willing to help him without an issue. I also wanted to establish a more believable reason for Charboya to trust them with this job that is so personal and important to him. I had several adventures I wanted to run them through to give a kind world, kind of a world of tour of Barsay. So when we got to Infected, they were higher circle than the story was originally written for. They were about fifth circle or so, but it was only about four to five player characters, so I figured it should still work more or less as written. Obviously, with a bunch of work being done to convert to fourth edition from first. When they arrived in Yellow Spring, they worked out that something was off and became paranoid completely reasonably. They managed through careful questioning of the residents of Yellow Spring to determine that they were being used. And so they left the village before nightfall to deal with its problems on its own. When they came under attack from the survivors of the first group, they managed to take all but one of them alive. 
Once combat was over, they used a last chance salve on the one they had killed and managed to convince the survivors to give them any intel they had on what to expect in Hanto. At this point, I suppose I should give a quick rundown of the group. They were a windling illusionist, a human elementalist, a troll sky raider, an elf rogue, I'm guessing thief, and a Tuscrang swordmaster. When they got to Hanto, they surveilled the town from a distance. They took one look at the fortifications and determined that they had no desire to be trapped there by the Grim Legion, but were also not going to leave the villagers in the hands of the Grim Legion. The windling used appropriate illusion spells to hide herself and did a flying scout of the town and then cast the same spells on the rogue who snuck into town and made initial contact with the head of the village and explained the plan. The PCs recognized that if they went in guns blazing, the villagers, and especially Ardelia, whom they had learned about from the aforementioned survivors, would be in danger and likely end up killed by the Grim Legion to ensure that quarantine was not broken. Here's where the Fifth Circle Elementalist comes in. Only halfway through. The plan was for the Elementalist to summon an Earth Elemental and have it use its power to construct a tunnel from a safe distance outside the village under the wall that they could sneak the villagers out through. We've now reached World War II, uh, you know, breakout scenarios uh, from East Berlin. Next, once the tunnel was mostly complete, a task which I determined based on the elemental's powers would not take all that long. The illusionist used an illusion spell or two to make the area where the tunnel was going to come out appear completely normal. I forget which spell that is. Uh, cast on a static space makes the space's occupants seem to be unremarkable and to behave completely normally. Notice not. I do I'm hoping so. I do give my players leeway for creative interpretation of spells, so it is possible this one maybe was outside the spell's normal abilities, rules as written. Once the spell was in place, the tunnel was finished. As a note, the tunnel opening was planned to be in an out-of-the-way space that none of the Grim Legion would have a reason to wander into. At this point, the team popped out of the tunnel, and two of them hid nearby, while one of them helped the villagers into and through the tunnel. A couple broke off from the main group of PCs and snuck quite successfully around the village where Ardelia was being held. They snuck in through a back window. I said yes to there being a window there, as I had not seen anything to indicate there would not be. And were working on getting Ardelia when one of the three back at the tunnel was spotted, and therefore combat ensued. I won't drag out a blow-by-blow of this combat because this is already too long. Simply, I will say that they did get Ardelia out safely, and despite it being harrowing combat to the end, they managed to win out. What they found, when they found the book and realized it would deteriorate, they endeavored to try and preserve it and bring it back to the Library of Thrall. I can't remember what they did, but I was impressed by the creativity and allowed it. Looking back at this retelling, I'm reminded of how bad I am at telling a short story. So my apologies, and feel free to paraphrase this if you share it in the podcast. (laughs) Keep up the great work, Grey Wolf. I like that. Or read it word for word because we're stretching for time. So. Yeah, well, but it's also it's also cool. I like the creativity on play there. The fact that you had more powerful characters meant that there were more tools to play with. Uh, yeah. A recommended group of that by the, the way rules are written would not have mm-hmm. access to spirits. But I think Ooh. that is a phenomenally clever way to approach the okay, we're going to try and sneak the important people out so that the Grim Legion no longer has a reason to be there yeah. kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, I again, like, fantastic. Oh, um, use a spirit and dig a tunnel? Yeah. Oh, um, man, and, go. And the spell, the, the illusionist spell that, you're, that, that I'm thinking of, um, and I think it's called Notice Not. I love um, that one. Is the one that, yeah, basically as long as 
the there's nothing like hugely dramatic that's done um, allows you to kind of be doing something in an area without it being noticed. Um, I would need to read the exact description, but I actually think like what you were doing there is the intended uh, the intended use. Obviously, like when you know the tunnel opens up, there's probably would be sensing tests. Uh, that would be allowed on anybody actually observing the site, but I think that's pretty much the spell working as intended. Yeah, I'm I'm down with it. Like I said, creative use of spells, go for it, solving the problem. It just tells a better story. Since you clearly remembered it and were able to yeah. detail that and send it into us, you know, whatever works for a better story. I love that. Uh, by all means, please throw some more questions in the chat. We have exactly one more email to get to and 24 minutes to kill. So. We're going to spend a lot of time on this one or answer your questions. So drop them in the chat, please. Uh, we'll get to them in just a second. This one's uh, again from Matthew because he's one of our more prolific uh, content creators. So thank you, Matthew. Hello, Josh and Dan, because we haven't said hello enough today. I have a few questions about life in Haven. The recent survival episodes and a recent Kickstarter about fantasy world shops got me thinking about life in Haven. So on to the questions. With Haven being built from par length, where does the town get its basic staples like food and water? I know in normal cities and towns, there would be wells, water towers, rivers, and farms nearby. I would think that the residents would not trust the food and water from the immediate area. How far would the city have to go to get these basic staples? Or am I misunderstanding the nature of corruption and that anything outside of par length proper would be safe? Um, so two parts to that answer. Um, one... There are villages and other communities that are in the hinterlands around Parlanth that survive by whatever agriculture or hunting or whatever that they do in order to make do. Um, the corruption of Parlanth um, might have some effect on the sort of immediate surrounding area. But I would think that once you get, you know, a little ways away from the city itself, uh, like, I think there's kind of an exponential decrease to what the effects of Parlane's corruption and danger would be in terms of, of how far away you are. Um, but interestingly enough, one of the adventures in the legends of bar save series uh um we were just talking about it earlier today um glass houses i think is the name of it um is it glass houses yeah. or is it games yeah. of, games of the hungry no no, no games no. of the hungry games of the hungry is the awesome one we also talked about that where it, games of the hungry is my favorite one that's the one that involves going into the war zone and dealing with false men uh br brigades um, right, right, right. No, Glass Houses is the is the one where basically the player characters get hired to find out what has been happening to caravans that have been coming into Haven with supplies because they've been getting hit by bandits on the way in, and the food supplies that have been getting imported have been going missing, essentially, and that if something isn't done about them, then there's going to be some problems as uh, any student of history can tell you uh, most of civilization is just like three missed meals away from total chaos. Um, and so what is happening is that there is um, a group in the wilds outside of 
Parlanth that wants to drive the residents of Haven away because of some perceived danger and are hitting the incoming food caravans in order to force them to leave. Um, so a lot of the like foodstuffs and whatnot is imported, uh, is brought in by caravan. I imagine, uh, depending on the campaign you're running, there may be some deals as well that are struck with some of the surrounding communities um, that are able to you know, farm and, and gather their own things. Um, water isn't really addressed. I imagine that uh, there's probably decent sources of water that can be found outside the city um, because it is in a jungle. Um, so there is clearly enough water there for a jungle to to grow up and exist. Um, but yeah, in general, um, water is probably not something that is... Like water sources in the city are probably not trusted very well, but also there is the fact that a lot of cares and magical technology was developed to allow people access to water in more unusual circumstances. So I could see there being some aspects of that also brought into life in Haven. Um, but I would say the vast majority of foodstuffs and whatnot are imported from outside brought in through the various groups and caravan companies and whatnot that operate in the city. Uh, K. Scott concurs that it is Legends of Barsif episode six, Glass Houses. So we're good there. Uh, Matthew therefore goes on to say, uh, I know being in a magical setting, a lot of things could be hand waved, but I was thinking of using adventures like this to break up the constant threat of the horrors from par length. I was thinking of things like setting up a volunteer fire brigade and having one adventure where they have to figure out a way to put out a fire that has started or have them be hired to do the water run. I would love to hear both of your thoughts. Yeah, um, I think that's cool. Um, Haven, um, I know that like in quote unquote medieval societies, um, fire is a huge deal. Um and even as recently as the 20th century, uh, a fire springing up in a city um, generally spelled bad news. In fact, um, the uh, the city that I live in, in up in Bangor, Maine, um, had a had a fire in the early 20th century that basically leveled all of downtown. Um, <sighs> there are only a couple of there are only a couple of buildings within sort of the downtown area that survived that fire. Just about everything else was built after that as part of the rebuilding effort um, post the the Great Bangor Fire. Um, of course, also in the early 20th century, Bangor was a much bigger city than it is now because it was tied very strongly to the uh, logging and paper industries uh, that loved the resources of the, um, of the northern Maine woods and whatnot. Um, but it's mentioned, in fact, in the Thrall Source book that the Great Library of Thrall has uh, spell boxes... Um, has enchanted things throughout the library that have the snuff spell on them so that if a fire breaks out, there are things right handy there to help put out the fire before it causes damage. So there are a lot of magical technologies, for lack of a better term, that could help mitigate that sort of thing. But yeah, a water run, um, you know, maybe a, a problem has cropped up where the usual source of water or one of the usual sources of water uh, has some kind of problem 
around it that uh, they might need to hire player characters to deal with in order to regain access to that water. I'm reminded of the um, early bits in the novel Prophecy. Um, which involved yeah. uh, Kimrick solving a problem where a well in a town has dried up. Um, there are plenty of opportunities like that. Any kind of threat to resources, um, whether that's food or water or something like that. You know, you look at, uh, to get snobby here from what, like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Um, oh, yeah. There are things that like before people can <laughs> go on and do you know, more enlightened or entertaining stuff, they need to have their basic needs met. And anything, especially in a frontier type community like Haven, which is based on, you know, the gold rush towns and, and the Wild West ideas of a community springing up around some kind of precious resource um, and then taking advantage of the people trying to, you know, get access to that resource, um, having access to you know, basic needs, food, water, uh, warmth, you know, shelter, anything like that would absolutely be something that would be of interest to the powers that be within the community. Um, because again, if the, you know, you've got a town that has a significant population of like trained fighters, uh, if something goes wrong, it absolutely can go wrong in very, very dramatic ways. Um, and Absolutely. Torgak and, and his people and other folks that have an interest in seeing the community thrive um, would want to do what they can to avert disaster where, um, you know, people are literally killing each other in the streets over the last can of beans kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, everything about that is a delicate balance. But yeah. if you go back to like uh, – old American wild west like tombstone you know yeah, exactly. it's a very small town it was bustling but yeah where did they get all their food and water from it was in the middle of the Arizona you know tombstone Arizona right mm-hmm. not a, not a major river nearby but everything was trained in you know they, they had locomotives bring just about everything you possibly could in and some local rural farmland also took care of some things so you could just expand I was playing in a game where it was actually centered in Haven and the game master's like there's not enough farmland here to support everybody so he just built he just added on farmland in the last few years because the timeline has progressed a little bit mm-hmm. outside of the walls of Haven. And they would, you know, truck things in, have farmers markets in the whole nine yards. So just add to it. Yeah. Prior to the industrialization of farming, um, particularly if you're looking at older societies and cultures, again, looking at kind of like the 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 Middle Ages, even up through the Renaissance and whatnot, uh, in terms of cultural development, there is a significant need and a significant portion of the population that needs to dedicate their time and energy into producing food for everybody else to eat. Um, And it is only, you know, more recently that, you know, here in the U.S., we have not needed to have a significant portion of the population working in agriculture to some extent. Um, and that's because yep. of automation and industrialization um, that allow the the efficiency of that to go away. Yeah. Uh, I also remember that there is a fountain in Parlanth, sorry, in Haven near the entrance to Parlanth. And one of the adventures in the Parlanth Adventures mentions that because it's part of uh, uh, it's a tainted fountain. That's how somebody got, got horror marked. So mm. I remember there's a fountain there for a water source, but I wouldn't that trust it. Yeah. 
<laughs> um, might, uh, not, might not be bad to like if you were going to use it for things that were not going to be consumed by people like as a water source for putting out fires or whatnot yeah, absolutely. um but beyond that uh yeah i i wouldn't trust yeah. it um any kind of water source setting even setting aside potential like side effects from general astral corruption uh you've got to assume that any kind of water source in there is probably teeming with dread iota or similar kinds of entities yeah something something's wrong with it uh matthew does have a ps i forgot i had another question i had been meaning to send in since versatility is a racial talent all humans get it would it be possible for non-adept humans to pick up talents i know being a non-adept they would have one or two talents being they would not have a lot of legend points to spend, but it would be interesting to think about humans truly being unpredictable and you would never know who has what talents or if they had any, any at all. Thanks and give up the good work, Matthew. Um, generally not while versatility is a racial ability for humans. Broadly speaking, um, it's been generally run from a development standpoint that it is really only adepts that have the ability to pick up magical talents through versatility um that it's not something really that humans broadly are able to do um that said i don't necessarily have a problem with the idea that humans being more adaptable and fitting into whatever niche is unfilled in whatever society or settlement that they find themselves in, um, that the humans that live alongside a predominantly elven community are going to fill a different role within that society than, say, a group of humans who lived alongside a group of orcs, um, because the the cultural differences and the things that are like desired or undesired or whatever between those different groups means that humans are going to kind of adapt and fill in wherever they're needed. Um, there is also some discussion uh, in some earlier materials of what are called half adepts, which player characters aren't really intended to be, but these kind of enhance the magical nature of the setting where you have farmers who actually know certain magics that and and talents for lack of a better term that allow them to enhance and take advantage of their chosen profession you know in terms of like growing and dealing with crops and whatnot um so from a game rules standpoint i don't know that i would necessarily um like allow a human non-adept to have versatility that they pick talents up under especially ones that are more um, magical in nature, but using that to inform the kind of roles that humans might play in any given settlement and location, I think is something that you would definitely want to keep in mind. Sure. Uh, in the chat, we've got a, a follow-up question on, I'll get to K. Scott's and Rob's and Beans in, in a minute or so. So, uh, W. Socrates asks, do you know where the fountain is in the books? The only one he knows is the one that is in the middle of par length, and that one is very tainted. Yeah, and the that screaming one is. fountain, that's... Uh, Very tainted. Yeah, that shows up actually in a couple of the Legends of Barsave adventures. I remember getting people into the town of Haven about halfway to Torgax, because you're heading right toward the corner of of Parlaith. About halfway in, there's a fountain. So you pass that, and then you can get to Torgax. That's my memory working, and Josh's research may 
it absolutely trumped my memory. Yeah, so. I, I may have to follow up on that. Um, I'm pulling up the Parlength PDF, um, but it yeah, would probably take some thing. reading for me to to get through all the details of that. So I'm not yeah. going to do that now. If we were recording a regular episode, uh, we would probably like sit here quietly for five minutes while I looked for it, and then I would find it, and we would edit out all that silence. Uh, but we're not going to do that here in the live show. But um, yep. I have pulled it up so that I can look it up, and maybe in the next episode we record... Um, we can get the Dan answer. can remind me and I can uh, answer that question. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's in the first, it's in the lower part of the map. First, it's like halfway in between. Remember, it's, it's a fountain. Yeah, it's I, actually I, drawn. I've, I've got an idea of probably where I'd, I would find it, but I don't want to, you know, have you guys watch me take five minutes to like flip through uh, the PDF of no. the book. We only have eight minutes left. So lightning round uh, question from K Scott. First printing of fourth edition was 2015. Second printing was 2019. Are there any plans or need for a third printing? Um, there actually is technically a third printing. Um, I believe. Yeah. The, the black cover limited slash, uh, the black cover special editions, um, I yep. think are technically the third printing. Um, Correct. This third printing, June 2022. Yeah, the the printing basically has to do with when we run out of stock. Um, if we run out of soft cover players guides and we go back for another print run, then we will do another print run and I will do what I can to try and incorporate additional errata and stuff into that document so that there would then be a fourth printing um, and the PDF would then be updated accordingly. Um, but it, I'm pretty sure that if you have the PDF either through the FASA web shop or through drive through RPG, the PDF version that's up there is equivalent to that third printing that black book uh, special edition yeah and usually drive through rpg lets you know if there's a new update yeah. so if you've done even if you don't like, get hey. an, even if you don't get an email about it if you go in you look at your like you can go into your library and filter for yeah. like only show me things that have updated since i've last downloaded them um, exactly so and, rob and if for some reason that doesn't seem to be the case uh let us know and we'll try and figure out why that's not happening for you in terms of the book being available because cool. it should be rob from the Name Givers podcast, has uh, it's not a question, but I do find when coming up with an adventure as a game master, going to that hierarchy of needs that Josh mentioned can help for ideas about what might be under threat in any given community or for the group itself. So, yeah, nowhere to mine your ideas. Like understanding what motivates people um, is fantastic. Um, gonna quick sidebar here. I would I could talk about this a lot longer, but we're we're getting towards the end. Um, not a lachia again. No, no, this is not a this is not a lachia. Um, I, I have may have mentioned on the podcast, but I know I've talked about it elsewhere, how much I enjoy the horizon games, horizon zero dawn and oh, yeah. uh, horizon forbidden West, both like mm -hmm. as like kind of how earth dawny they are, but the, the, um, world building and everything that's involved in them is phenomenal. Uh, I absolutely adore them. I have been watching a let's play of, the Horizon games, uh, specifically Horizon Forbidden West, that is being done by a guy with a PhD in uh, human development and and um, family, like family counseling and whatnot. Um, and he is like breaking down and analyzing, like in the the conversations 
that happened between people. He's doing like this really deep, like counselor's view and talking about the motivations and how like the, the personalities involved and how you might apply things differently. It is fantastic and fascinating and wonderful. Um, he plays the game on like story mode. So it's like, he's not worried about like, like being really good player, but his breakdown of the, um, of the the conversations and like role play sections of it is fantastic. Um, it goes by the name of um, it's under um, game sessions with a therapist. I think is is it's <laughs> under the the it's on YouTube. A guy by the name of Doctor Mick, and he's done similar things with like he did all of Horizon Zero Dawn. He did um, yeah. the the God of War reboot games, including I guess he's doing the the God of War Valhalla DLC that just came out here not too long ago. Um, but like his insights into like the human psychology and everything that's going on there is just wonderful. And if that kind of thing interests you, absolutely, um, absolutely check it. it out. Totally. We have one question from Bean. It's a longer one, but that's fine. We, we like longer ones. Bean, any examples of intelligent threat items in Earth Dawn or in your campaigns? We have a couple in our game. In one case, an elemental spirit bound to a staff. Another is a bow. Our archer is reluctant to speak to his bow, but my elementalist enjoys having conversations with his staff where others can hear him, but not the staff, since it speaks directly to his mind. Both are basically old pre-scourge items. Curious of any examples we could look at for other abilities, key knowledges, deeds, etc., or how to use them. Um, Night Scar, I think, is the name of it. There's a sword that was originally in Arcane Mysteries of Barsave that has a, an ally spirit bound into it. I think any example of an intelligent thread item will be one that has a spirit bound to it in some capacity. That That is a very easy way to get some kind of intelligence or guiding personality or whatever um, into an item like that. Um, Night Scar, I'm pretty sure, is the name of it. Um, I can't think of any others off the top of my head, um, but Night Scar definitely comes to mind as a as an ally spirit that is bound into uh, a sword that doesn't really want to be there. And I think one of the deeds at the high rank um, is to like free the spirit. Um, I think that's the name of it. Um, Socrates mentioned Storm Fury. Okay, that's in the um, maybe in the Iopos book. I'm not as familiar with those items off the top of my head. Um, uh, but yeah, there are a couple of examples and I'm pretty sure all of them have spirits bound into them in some capacity. And that is exactly how I would handle the traditional intelligent weapon or intelligent magic item, uh, that you sometimes see in fantasy. Um, yeah, you know, storm, like Elric's Stormbringer, for example, would absolutely have some kind of dark spirit involved in it. That makes sense. I remember there was one in the Knights of the Dinner Table comic comic but I don't remember what it was called. Oh, anyway, Dave's, it, yeah, Dave, Dave's sword. Uh, yes, they have yeah, yeah, yeah. had to bury this thing and occasionally bring it back up or so. And it is an absolutely evil, vicious, insultingly wicked sword. Yeah. Anyway, it's fantastic, though. One of those things. Uh, yeah. So Map of Haven. That's you. Your, this, your, the your book. background like blurring out completely. Yeah, I know. That map. It's in front of me. Anyway, um, yeah, like halfway in, there's I think a circular well or a fountain right there near near uh, Trident Keep, halfway okay. in the halfway in the city. Yeah. So I, I don't know deal. that it's mentioned yeah. in the Haven booklet in I that finish. or in the the free one. Yeah. Um. Hey, don't flip us off, Dan. <laughs> um. But it probably is talked about in the um par length box, and I will see if I can actually find the reference for that and mention it later. 
Yeah. Uh, when we break down the Parlinth Adventures, I know it'll be in that one as well. So mm. okay. stay tuned for that that episode. Any further questions we've got? I think uh, two people are typing. So hold, uh, please. Yeah. Well, and and here we were. Dan was like, I don't know if we're going to be able to fill our entire hour with. Well, Josh can. If I just get him talking about Alachi, we're all set. Just just run on, Josh. Go. I had I had one idea. So we, we can fill another minute or so. I have one idea. Uh, the next Kickstarter I want to see is an actual uh, new Earth Dawn dice set. But here's what I want from the set. Because the last one had a percentile dice. There's no percentile dice in Earth Dawn, and I didn't like that die in there in the first place. But I would just want a D4 and a D20, because you got to have those. Because you don't really get to 2D20 until like step 31, so that you can be a while. But I need 2D6, 2D8, 2D10, and 2d12 because we have those steps on the chart so that right there is a 10 dice 10 die set but then since everybody has a d6 for karma you throw in a third d6 that's differently colored for your absolute 11 dice set that's what i want to see that's the next kickstarter i want to put together I, I like the way you're thinking that's 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 all i can say fair so i don't know that it would, i don't know that it would be worthwhile to do a kickstarter just for that although Dice Kickstarters can go very, very nicely. Um, yes, they if can. You have a, a good design going along with them, but yeah, good uh, design, good color schemes. Yeah, I, I, I like the cut of your jib. Let me say that. So, is everybody else okay with an eleven die set for Earth Dawn? Because that's that's the set that I want to see. But just saying, anyway. Um, yeah, like yeah, two regular D10s them. instead of like a percentile and the traditional D10. Exactly. I went onto the forums way back when with Red Brick and I said, why is there a percentile in here? And people are like, just give up the oh, seven dice. I'm like, why good, are we using a seven die set with Earth Dawn? That is a good so, add on there, Rob. Um, have it come with a card or something that you can fold out that has the step chart on it. <laughs> yes. That's. I like that even more. That's pretty cool. I'll have Thanks to for tacking that, that one on. Cherry on the top. Yeah. That's the that's the whipped cream and the cherry and the nuts. Yeah, go man, go. I like that. Uh, it's never a mark for that. Well, there you go. <laughs> with that, yeah, is our time up? Does someone else yeah, need this it's, chat? It's 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 our hour is up. Um, yeah, someone else needs the channel. All right, fine. Well, nobody sure. else needs the channel, but our our time <laughs> is up. I think I forget exactly whether we've got another hour after this before the closing ceremonies, or I think so. I um, I think you're going to get like a free hour to regroup and recaffeinate and all that fun stuff yeah, before. I, there, so. Yeah. But I would like to thank everyone for joining us here, for popping into the chat, for asking questions, for sending in your emails, for taking part, for continuing to support us here. On Absolutely. Survival Guide 209 episodes, Dan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, wow. Uh, we just everybody, yeah. Here's a here's a taste. I have a perfect perfect set right here for the Earth on Dice that I want to see. Anyway, uh, yeah. Thanks for thanks for listening. Thanks for contributing. Uh, without your emails and your support, it's really hard to get this all done because otherwise it'd be Josh and I just laughing at each other as we go uh, throughout the day. Um, but really, we have we're mining as much Earth on content as we possibly can. So until next time, um, check the hierarchy of your Earth on needs for your legend. And those needs, first level is more dice. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Oh